0: The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to Raising Good Humans. I'm Dr. Aliza Pressman, and today's episode is with Jenny Friedman, a registered dietitian, picky eating expert, mom, and author who has such a great way of approaching feeding and picky eating from tots to teens. So we are addressing typically developing picky eaters that are two and that are 12. We're also addressing kids who have developmental challenges and some of the ways we can respond to picky eating, even in kids who have allergies or anxiety. If you enjoy this episode, don't hesitate to subscribe, rate, and write a little review. And of course, you can DM me on Instagram at Raising Good Humans Podcast. I actually pulled a few of your questions about nutrition and picky eating and gave them to Jenny to take on. One is a teenager, one is about a five-year-old, and one is a toddler. So we're covering it all, and I hope you have a great week.
1: I think the first thing that we really want to keep in mind with feeding our kids in general is perspective. So each meal feels like a really, really big deal. It feels like it's so important. We want to do it right. They need to eat. You know, it has to be healthy. And in reality, our kids are eating like a zillion times a day, you know, so many times a week, that each individual meal, in the scheme of things, just isn't that important. It doesn't matter that much. Of course, over time, we do want everything to, you know, generally be going well, That that each, you know, that one meal, it's okay. If it's not perfect, if it's not like you expected. So I think keeping that in mind is really helpful for parents when we're in like kind of that stressful situation. And with that, we can go into meals you know, keeping in mind kind of what our role and our agenda is. If we have an an overall goal, and I recommend parents try to do this, even though it's so hard, of our, you know, the main goal and the main purpose of this meal is to enjoy it, to have it be pleasant. Um, Of course, there are things that come up that kind of compete with that at times, but Bottom line, we want to try to enjoy mealtime and have it be a pleasant and fun and light experience for our kids. And if we can keep that in mind, that can really help us to, you know, kind of color every single one of those meals and keep the, the tension down when we are starting to feel stressed. It's also helpful to think about kind of your job as the parent, your job is to provide the food, um, you know, to be consistent, to create this safe and comfortable environment for your kids. And it's up to your kids to decide if they're eating and how much they're eating and what they're eating from the meal. We really need to respect that. So trying to keep everybody in their zone, kind of going in with, you know, managing your expectations and having your goal be, if it works for you to really just have it be an enjoyable experience. So let's, Think about like the toddler
0: and the teenager and just in general, you're letting them have their, you know, you're providing the food. You're not changing the menu based on mood, but you're not force feeding or commenting on how much a child is eating. You're just providing this environment to have an enjoyable meal. But you yourself are noticing they're not touching anything except for, you know, the same one food. My two questions that I received were, one, at what point do you say, okay, it's been two weeks, we've only had white foods, they're not touching any of the other stuff, is this a picky eater where I need an intervention, or will the intervention in and of itself cause more tension than it's worth in the bigger picture of eating habits? And then when it's kids who have sort of more control over the food that they're getting because they're, you know they're in high school and they go to the cafeteria and we're still kind of clinging to controlling what they're eating when they get home and they're not interested in a healthy meal because they've been having junk all day. What part of that, you know, do you intervene? And again, how much can you say, I'm just, this is not where my battle needs to be on balance. My kids get the opportunity to eat healthy. They may not choose it right at this point in their life, but I'm modeling healthy eating and I'm just going to call it a day.
1: So ideally, I it's great if we can adopt that mindset of just you know kind of being the water and like letting everything flow around us and knowing I did everything that I needed to do. But in reality, it's really hard to do that. And sometimes there are extenuating circumstances. So thinking about this little kid, you know, if you're seeing more of the toddler and you're beginning to notice something, What you do really depends on when you start to worry and what sort of, if we're talking intervention, uh, depends. So if you're noticing something for two weeks, you know, you might kind of be, be seeing something. I think that's a hard time to really draw a conclusion. I think over time, you will start to see patterns. And really, if we can get ahead of them, that's where the magic happens. Or as we're starting to see these maybe changes going on, really how we react can kind of make or break things to some extent or can affect the trajectory. So when we start to see our kids, you know, if you kind of alarm bells are starting to go off, you're starting to get worried with a younger kid, the intervention can potentially make things worse if it's not the right kind of intervention. So if you're Game plan is to try to control, to get really stressed, to kind of pressure them or force them to bring your worries to the table, to have mealtime start to become this place that feels really tense. You're requiring bites or putting limits on about what they can eat or can't eat. I think that's when we start to see things backfire and that can actually like perpetuate um, picky behavior or like rebellious behavior at the table. So if you are concerned at that point, or if at any point you're kind of worried about what your younger child is eating, try to again, focus on really enjoyable mealtimes, setting the example, having meals together where you are offering a variety of different foods, but not really controlling what your child is eating or commenting about what they're eating. And something that is helpful too is just getting your kid involved so they can help you in meal prep. They can help in like kind of table prep, you know, really like food prep and prepping for the meal, setting the table, giving them simple choices. You know, would we prefer spiral pasta or bowtie pasta tonight? Those little things to help a child, you know, feel more invested and feel more in control. And that lack of control and the desire to assert independence is one of the Um, kind of triggers for picky eating behavior, for eating challenges in young kids. So trying to give them, you know, get ahead of that and give them um, some say and help them feel involved. The other big thing is really focusing on that feeding relationship. Kind of the main thing that we want to do is really respond to our child's needs. We see that they're struggling. How can we help them feel more comfortable and confident and capable? If we see that they um, are hungry, you know, feeding them as appropriate. If we see that they're struggling with something, respecting that struggle. So really not putting on the pressure and instead trying to work with them to create a more comfortable environment. So that's what I would, you know, how I would kind of focus on the, the younger kid. On our older children, if you do feel like you need to interfere, I come at this from a point of thinking everything has been, you know, as good as it can be up to this point. So we are having these kind of responsive feeding relationship we are having, you know, without pressure, we are having family meals. We've set a good example. They've been exposed to a variety of foods you know, teenagers, again, we're kind of looking at that control and independence and they're going to make these crazy food choices and, you know, experiment with different things. And typically that is just a phase in and of itself. So we can trust that if they're eating, you know, we're giving them kind of those more nutritious options or more balanced meals. Most of the time that that is you know, setting everything that they need. It's meeting everything that they need. And we can, at that point, you know, really continue to set a good examples. It's not where I would pressure or like set limits or do any sort of punishment or, um, assert any control, but you can at this point, um, and even younger than teenagers start to talk a little bit more about nutrition and what different foods do in the body and, you know, how like, sure, sugar tastes great and candy tastes great, but it doesn't really give us the energy that we need to do the things that, you know, our, our kids are loving to do. Um, So I think that's a really great time where we can start to kind of teach those lessons and help them to make some more balanced decisions on their own.
0: And what is the check-in with ourselves to know whether we're talking about nutrition, making some suggestions, providing, you know, the meals, not making it a battle and making it too nutrition focused. Like how do we find that sweet spot so that we're not, looking at food and nutrition in an obsessive way but we're still able to impart our kind of overall food health philosophy i gather from from everybody and the reality is like we have so much access to information we know what's healthy and we can provide healthy foods but at what point is talking about it too much so that it goes into Even if it's about healthy sort of eating disordered thinking, Mm -hmm. because I've heard a lot of kids, especially the ones who are doing human development, and they're kind of learning a little bit in the fifth, sixth, seventh grade about how to check in if your friend or, or if you have any of the kinds of habits that might be on a path towards disordered so they'll call out behaviors, like siblings call out behaviors, and it's all innocent. It's it's as they're kind of learning about the world. So like all of us, we over-diagnose in a way. Mm-hmm. But in the tween teen set, it's such a fraught topic. And I think parents struggle with how much is too much of the topic in general, and how much is an important part of just like
1: how we talk about everything in the house. Yeah, it's, you know, I think some kids and you will sort of know if you have one of these kids where you need to be a little bit more sensitive or, you, you know, you can kind of push the envelope a little bit or maybe not push, but, you know, focus a little bit more or where you need to be a little more gentle. I find that if we really take the focus away from, you know, like the healthy, unhealthy, the good, the bad, you know, there aren't these kind of binary of positive and negative about our food. Like it's just food. And here is some information on how it works. So sugar, like there is a time and a place and a reason for it. But if we're really thinking about, you know, nourishing our bodies in the long run, What helps, you know, or if we have a basketball game or a big test, what are the foods that are going to help our bodies and kind of really thinking about it from, for me, it's, it's the body functioning and it's not a weight or a health, or, you know, if you do this or don't do that, that is going to happen, but Hey. You know, you have a Pop-Tart for breakfast and there's not, you know, it's missing these nutrients. It has these and it's really great and it's so tasty and that is it's wonderful, but like you're going to be sitting, you know, taking the SAT for three hours. We really need something that's going to power you through that. And here are the nutrients that can help you do that. And, you know, what's something that would, you know, let's kind of make that meal together. So I think providing the information and Bringing, you know, and that, that's how we can, I think, have that conversation as sort of safely as we can. But thinking back to, again, like it is, kids are very resilient of all ages, even teenagers. And I think back to things that I did and I'm like, I can't believe that stuff, you know, that I like made it through the day feeling okay. They like that now, like, you know, you feel like junk. So they're, they're going to be okay. And of course, as they do mature, like they probably, their eating habits will change and they'll start to make those choices for whatever reason they start to. So it's another place where we kind of need to let go and say, like, I've set the foundation here. I did the work I did, you know, I didn't pressure. I didn't do like all that good, bad food. I did not make them like neurotic or paranoid. And here I'm just going to let it go. Cause this is like one thing and they're, you know, our teens are at the age where they can kind of learn this lesson on their own and it's helpful for them to learn it rather than, you know, them to have it like forced down their throat.
0: I really love hearing you say that because I think, in fact, I'm looking at one of my listener questions and it's, you know, we try not forcing eating and pressuring, but our kids are still so picky, even as teenagers, where did we go wrong? And so I think that what you just said is important to take in, that you laid the foundation and you're not finished. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, we all were teenagers once and I definitely eat more I I am more aware of the importance of green vegetables now. And it's like, I crave healthier food as, you know, and you get into your, even your 20s and you're just in a different place of understanding how you might feel if you have a Pop-Tart before a long day. But I will say that, and if you have an answer to that question that's different than what you just said, by all means, (laughs) I would love to to share that with everybody. The only thing I was going to just mention is the kids who have a Pop-Tart, still nail it on their SATs, Mm -hmm. still have a great day, still get the goal. How are we, you know, at a certain point, do we stop saying something to them and just hope that the modeling and the foundation was there? Or is it like a place of pushing? shouldn't be a place of pushing. I
1: think this is really where we need to let go. And for us, you know, it's it's frustrating for us. It's not a problem for them. If it's a problem for them, they wouldn't be doing it. So they can choose the Pop-Tart. I think if a Pop-Tart is the only food that they're eating, then maybe it's a different discussion. But yeah, I think we do... We don't push. I think we can let go, and really, kids of all ages—the last thing that they want to do is whatever we're telling them to do or asking them to do. So if we say like, "You really need to have eggs instead," you know, with a side of spinach, they're like, "Mm." (laughs) "You know, that's not what's going to happen." And it is. I get messages from a lot of adults. I work primarily with kids, but I hear from a lot of adults who would say like, "I still struggle with this," or kind of validating the thing. It's like it does take time, or it takes—you know—just takes time to learn these lessons because I didn't eat. X, Y, Z until I was 25 or 30. And I still, there are, are totally adults who are still working on this, you know, fruits and vegetables and protein are hard. Um, you know, I'll say vegetables in particular are very hard for everybody, including adults. So there is still time to really evolve and mature. I think this
0: message of letting go, it cannot be heard enough because we just don't believe it.
1: <laughs> you know, and I have to, like, I, I kind of, not cringe as they say it, but I believe that so much. And I, I believe that that's really the importance and it's so hard to do. And I'm, I'm on myself. My son is young and I know that a lot of what's happening, like it is, and it isn't sinking in, but I'm catching myself with all of these concerns and stresses about his eating and like the desire to kind of micromanage and it doesn't help. You know, it's not, that does not help anyone. So I think it's in In our nature, you know, we're told as parents that really it's our job to take care of our kids and make sure they're healthy and fed and perfect. So we do all that we can to do our best in that role and to fulfill that. But that can really backfire in a lot of ways and can kind of send the wrong message. So putting our focus on, again, that enjoyment and really trying to model, we can, of course, intervene when there needs to be an intervention, but kind of letting go and trying to trust that we have set the foundation.
0: And now, a word from my sponsors. Wouldn't it be great if you could just give the gift of a good hair day? You kind of can. Cue Gemist. Gemist makes hair care easy by providing you with personalized recommendations based on your hair data. And just in time for the holidays, they're releasing exclusive holiday bundles that can save you up to 30%. Keep it for yourself or gift one to a friend. I love their scalp balancing bar and their hair freshener and their shampoo and conditioner. The scalp balancing bar, which I have only learned was even a thing through Gemist, is this really cool product that makes all the buildup on your scalp go away. And the hair freshener, for those of you who don't wash your hair every day like me, it's kind of just nice to freshen your hair up and give you an extra day after a blow dry. And with three bundles to choose from, you can find the perfect gift at a fraction of the price. There's the Deluxe Set, which I think is a great gift. It's a cream styler, scalp balancing bar, and the hair freshener, plus a brush. You already know I've raved about all of this, and the bundle includes the products that I've talked about. Gemis amazing bar spoils the scalp, the cream styler locks in moisture, and the detangling brush gently smooths without pulling all your hair out. And of course, the hair freshener refreshes and eliminates odor from your hair instantly. It really is a deluxe gift of the season. So if you want to give the gift of good hair days, check out Gemist. As I mentioned, these bundles are already 20% off, but my listeners will get an extra $5 off bundles with the code RGHGIFT. And with free express shipping, it's the perfect last second hostess gift. Just visit gemist.com to give someone in your life a good hair day. That's gemist, G-E-M-M-I-S-T.com, and enter the code RGH gift at checkout. The holidays are all about coming together and creating the magic of the season. So sure, you can buy ornaments, but isn't building your own so much more fun? This year, KiwiCo invites your family to make the holidays a little more hands-on and personalized. And while learning a thing or two along the way. KiwiCo is the one-stop gift shop for kids of every interest and every age. Kids can discover the mechanics behind everyday objects, learn the science of cooking, explore new cultures, practice new art and design techniques, build a robot. I mean, all of this is through fun, hands-on projects. And when you're looking for holiday gifts, give a KiwiCo subscription and you can celebrate a love for hands-on learning all year long. I have... Older kids, and they're still really cool projects to do because they have a makers pack that's for ages 14 and older. You can get super cool hands-on science, art, and geography projects delivered to your door every month. You can do your part to encourage your kids to be innovators and creative thinkers and tinkerers when you provide materials to build things and they can see how things work, take them apart, put them together. And you won't even believe what they can accomplish with KiwiCo. There are tools to learn new skills, build new experiences, make connections, and they will grow confidence. And also, it's something they can do without you. If you just want a break, but you're not quite up for the open-ended play that sometimes gets a lot of questions and you just need them to have something to do, a project that is contained and you don't have to worry about what the materials are or the quality. And that can be hard as a parent. So KiwiCo does all that legwork for you. You can spend quality time tackling projects together. There's something for kids of all ages and there is no commitment. You can pause or cancel at any time. This holiday season, give the gift of fun hands-on experiences with KiwiCo. And get 50% off your first month plus free shipping on any crate line with the code HUMANS at K-I-W-I-C-O dot com. That is 50% off your first month at K-I-W-I-C-O dot com with the promo code HUMANS in all caps. Are you feeling nauseous on your commute right now? Are the trains, subways, and bumper-to-bumper traffic making you sick to your stomach? Do you find yourself on boats periodically wanting to vomit like I do? (laughs) You have to check out Relief Band. Relief Band is the number one FDA-cleared anti-nausea wristband that has been clinically proven to quickly relieve and effectively prevent nausea and vomiting associated with motion sickness, anxiety, migraines, hangovers, morning sickness, chemotherapy, and much more. The product is 100% drug-free. It's non-drowsy. It provides all natural relief with zero side effects for as long as it's needed. So if you've got folks in the car who are feeling like vomiting, this one's an easy fix. The technology was originally developed over 20 years ago in hospitals to relieve nausea from patients. But now through Relief Band, it's available to everyone. How it works is ReliefBand stimulates a nerve in the wrist that travels to the part of the brain that controls nausea, then it blocks the signal your brain is sending to your stomach to tell you that you are sick. ReliefBand is the only over-the-counter wearable device that's been used in hospitals and oncology clinics to treat nausea and vomiting. ReliefBand just released its newest model, the ReliefBand Sport. That means it's waterproof, features interchangeable brands, and has an extended battery life. I cannot tell you enough about the wonders of this product and how it's worked for me. Now, granted, this is a very unique situation, but I really get seasick. And so I could be on a ferry. I could be on a boat. I could be pretending to enjoy myself with friends on a very friends and family fun boat trip. It will not be pleasant for me because of my seasickness. So it's super helpful. And it also works for car sickness and so many other things. So as the holiday season quickly approaches, it's a great time to give the gift of relief and make sure that your loved ones are nausea-free. Right now, Relief Band has an exclusive offer just for Raising Good Humans listeners. If you go to reliefband.com and use the promo code HUMANS, you'll receive 20% off plus free shipping and no questions asked if you want to return it within 30 days. You'll get your money back Guaranteed. So head to R-E-L-I-E-F-B-A-N-D.com and use our promo code HUMANS for 20% off plus free shipping.
1: I'm Arielle Laurie, host of the Blonde Files podcast, where every Wednesday I cover all things wellness. After nearly dying from drugs and alcohol six years ago, I've been on a mission to live my best, most fulfilled life, and I'm sharing everything with you. From how to achieve optimal health, well-being, and fulfillment, to the best beauty tips and even cosmetic procedures, I cover it all with raw, candid conversations with experts and inspirational guests. Make sure to subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. So I want to give
0: another example of a question, and I feel like what's going to happen is there's a running theme here of lifting back that, <laughs> that control. And I and, and I love that you have a younger kid. And so you can articulate how challenging it is to have all this information and still fall into the traps. I mean, I obviously am a mom with lots of information that would suggest I could have an easier time with certain things. But of course, <laughs> when you're emotionally involved, these mm-hmm. things are uh different. But one listener asked basically i'm i'm going to shorten this question but she said she's trying all of the having the food not be labeled good or bad and providing the healthy choices but not forcing anything and she said but i'm scared that my smart 5 year old will sort of exploit it and if it's up to her she'll just skip vegetables completely she's very picky and I feel like it's if it were up to her, she would just be a meat and grains and that's all kind of kid. So I guess my question is, is it normal for kids to skip those veggies in the beginning of adapting new ways of eating? And how long can I expect this to go on for? How long do I put up with it? When I send her to school, I always put fruits and veggies and then it comes back untouched. So... I guess that's kind of another version of the same. When I look at all the questions that came in about picky eating and about healthy eating habits, they all kind of are the same, you know, it's
1: the same story. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, which is nice kind of to know that you're not alone. You know, if you are struggling with this and having these questions, pretty much every single parent out there is having them too, because first of all, picky eating is normal. You know, this is a normal thing that kids go through. So this mom was asking, you know, about the duration, like how long can I expect, you know, and we, we see picky eating beginning, maybe around 18 months, two years, three years old. And there's some research that suggests that it kind of works its way out over the course of two years, but I often see it kind of going, having a longer duration than that. And, you know, it ebbs and flows and kind of evolves, but yeah, it is normal, unfortunately for kids to not gravitate towards vegetables. So they are, you know, kids, one of the kind of the biological reasons behind picky eating is this heightened sensitivity to the bitter taste. And this was, you know, we think going back to kind of our caveman days when kids were roaming around and like poison, you know, or tastes bitter. Um, So it was helpful for us to want to avoid those foods. And most vegetables are bitter. So a lot of kids don't like them. A lot of adults don't like them. Um, They're also kind of difficult to like manipulate in your mouth, you know, they're chewier, they're like, unpredictable. So it's super normal that our kids are not loving vegetables and it's frustrating because we know how, you know, healthy, like that's what we're told. Vegetables are good and they're supposed to be having them. So, you know, this is where I would continue to model, you know, so now I'm like a broken record, um, getting your daughter involved with food prep, getting all kids involved so they can help you make meals that aren't include vegetables, make those dishes. They can help select them. Getting their input um, and their involvement is just really helpful in increasing their incentive and interest to eat. And the, the vegetables and fruits, I think we worry because of the nutrition. So fruits and veggies do have pretty equivalent um, nutritional value. So if your kid is mostly having fruit but not vegetables, I wouldn't worry. Definitely frustrating, but you know, continue to offer those veggies, um, but know that they're meeting their nutritional needs. If you are very worried because it's really like carb diet, carb and dairy give them a multivitamin if you can. And, and if that you know makes you feel better because the fruits and vegetables have our vitamins and that's what you can get from a multivitamin in the window when they're maybe not eating as much as it feels like they should be. That is so great
0: that you brought up multivitamins because I was gonna ask you, at what point should we be giving our kids a good multivitamin? Is there kind of no reason not to, because why not? Or is it really just to fall back on if you feel like your kids are not eating enough of the nutrient-rich foods?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, this is, you know, my disclaimer of like, talk to your pediatrician. Everybody's different. And <laughs> yes, you can't get you know, one size fits all. There's probably no harm in offering a multivitamin, especially if it makes you feel better. Um, so most of the vitamins we will just pee out. So, you know, they like you've heard maybe like very expensive urine because um, they're water soluble. So they don't stay in the body and that's okay. But the body will use whatever it needs. And if it makes you feel good, then I think it's very worth it,, um, and it will cover any bases that need to be covered. So for most people, there's probably no reason not to take one. But if you're not worried and you feel like you've got a balanced diet going on, and don't don't start to worry about it.
0: okay. so now I have some tougher listener questions for you, mm-hmm. so this one is, and I think the broader question is, I actually got a lot of comments about this from a post that I put on Instagram, but that for kids who have who are not typically developing you have to do more forced structured eating because of other issues and so one of these questions what and and parents were feeling really or kids who have severe eating disorders and i think you know we can address that's not what today's topic is but we can certainly address that as you said it's not a one size fits all approach and talk to your pediatrician and also It doesn't necessarily, like a lot of these things do apply for all kids, not just kids who are typically developing, but I want you to address that and I'll be quiet. I just wanted to read read you an example. Yeah. This one says, our seven-year-old son has sensory issues and he's had OT for almost four years, including food therapy, and we've made some progress, but it is still a miracle if he has more than two ounces of protein at mealtime. I wonder if there are suggestions for kids on the spectrum when it comes to encouraging healthy eating with sensory and anxiety issues seemingly more prevalent. Perhaps there's a related topic to explore.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, And you're not alone here. So most of the kids who I work with, I tend to work with kids who kind of, I wouldn't even put them in like the picky eater category. They more have eating challenges. And so Uh kind of developmental delays are more likely to be linked with eating challenges. And the kids who I work with do tend to, a lot of them do have autism. Many do have sensory challenges. And I'd say most have developed some anxiety with eating. So, you know, I think part of the struggle here is often we do feel like they need some support, they need some OT, therapy, skill building. It's helpful. And sometimes that can, like, not, I don't wanna say backfire, but create like almost just some trauma it makes it into a thing or it does create this inherent pressure and so we do want that support but it's almost a double edged sword or double whatever that expression is so that's something to be mindful and these challenges are real they do create a whole extra layer. Like this is different than like our typical picky eaters where you're gonna say, sure, they'll outgrow it. No problem. Just leave it alone. You know, keep offering. You do need to do more at this point. So structure is is helpful, especially if you're worried about intake. We do want to kind of make sure we're structuring meals well, um, like in terms of meal timing. So we're not kind of over snacking I see. And again, as a parent, like this is my gut instinct of like, Oh, he didn't eat well. Like I should just offer a snack and maybe I should offer another snack. But if we keep, you know, kind of pushing food or we let our kids graze all day long, their appetite never really reaches its full potential. And meals tend to be what kind of fall to the wayside at that point. So, if you are concerned about intake, really making sure that you're kind of setting set meal and snack times, so the appetite has time to grow in between meals, and then we can you know fill the belly at meal times. And you can always play around with how you're offering food as well. So, if you're concerned about vegetables, you're concerned about protein, can you offer those first? Can you offer them at really hungry times? Um, Often kids are more hungry in the morning or they may be hungry, you know, right before a meal starts. And that can be like, oh, here's some cheese or some chicken, you know, like I'm getting the rest of the meal ready. Here's a little something you can have. So there are certainly ways that you can try to fill in any gaps, whether it's nutritional or skill building, you know, or whatever kind of need there is. You can fill that in without, you know, changing something so dramatic in how we're feeding our kids. Um and yes you know to go back that like seeking extra support is is so helpful especially if um you know your child does have real challenges that is so helpful
0: cuz i think there are so many mixed messages and
1: that really just clarified it to me. I hope it clarifies it for everybody else. I hope so. I and mean, you can always um I'm happy to clarify further if it was not clear. Um I'm yeah.
0: what yeah, like what are the signs that you do need to seek outside support? Like, what's the difference between developmental and needing to get outside support? Is it You know, in some cases, it's really just how much is it tying you in knots in your stomach and how Mm -hmm. much and then where is the point where it's like you absolutely aren't going to be able to to come up with a plan in this kind of challenging situation and you do need to seek outside support.
1: Yeah, so I love that you brought that up because that's I think a big one that we don't does not get a lot of focus. Is it's okay to ask for support no matter what else is going on? If you if it is like tearing you up, if it is stressful for you, if you're feeling lost, if you feel like you want support or you're confused and don't know where to go, no matter like really what your child is going through, then get support. There's a lot of different options out there. Um, You know, I work with families who tend to be on like the more extreme end of the spectrum, but there's so many different services for you. So definitely get support if you feel like you need support or you have questions, but I tend to see, you know, we can kind of, there's not a list of criteria, but a a bunch of different areas where we can look at what might be typical picky eating, what kids naturally go through and what might be signs of a more severe challenges. One can be the total number of foods. So, you know, if your child's eating like five foods or 10 or under 20, that's a limited number of foods. If they are restricting entire food groups, maybe they don't really eat any protein at all or any fruits, any vegetables, uh, that could definitely be a sign that something kind of more is going on. Mealtimes are really hard for your child, if they can't eat with the family, if they can't share the family meal to some extent, if they have trouble with social situations, they can't go to birthday parties or it's creating a lot of stress. You know, I work with a lot of families who like pack, you know, kind of snacks or food wherever they go to restaurants and birthday parties and play dates. And that is one thing and that can be a sign. But also if your child, like if those situations are stressing your child out, or if they feel like they don't even want to participate in them, that's an indication that, you know, they could use some more support. We want them to be comfortable. They should be able to, you know, enjoy those situations. Of course, if there's an issue with weight, so if we're seeing weight loss or inadequate growth, that's something your doctor should be able to diagnose. So those are some of the big ones. Those are kind of signs of the more extreme. It's normal for kids, young kids, and even up to our teens to kind of go through phases where they like some things and not others, you know, where they don't want like a green speck on their pasta or they just prefer things plain or not touching. All of those are normal. They can happen on a spectrum of kind of, you know, more typical to more extreme But those are things that are certainly worrisome and irksome as a parent, um, but not necessarily a sign of something, you know, kind of deeper going on beneath the surface. And using that as an example, the little green speck on the plate, how much
0: in the sort of seed planting time of food, when kids don't want food to touch other kinds of foods or there's something green, how much do you address it and how much is accommodating it sort of feeding the beast?
1: Yeah, that's a a great question. It's tricky. So I think maybe kind of one of the things that we don't want to do is like dismiss our child's. Objection, I guess, is you know, or dismiss like their feelings that they're being offended. You know, if they're offended by that, maybe we can help them. Like, oop, I see that's not feeling good to you today. Look, we can just wipe it off. You know, kind of giving them an alternative, acknowledging their feeling, and instead of like, oh, no problem, i will go get you some plain. We'll only have plain, but really trying to work with them to give them an alternative, or like, that's okay, you don't have to eat it. You know, today, and continuing to really present that. I think one one of the things that can kind of dig the hole deeper is taking our kids preferences and objections as fact, and really, you know, sticking with that. So they say, I don't like the green speck today. I don't like sauce. And you're like, fine, it's plain here on out. And that's all you're getting. So, you know, and, and not then exposing them to other foods or to the more complex foods or giving them the option. You know, I really see that we can kind of, do, you know, create like almost reinforce their um, rigidity mm-hmm. and yeah, prevent them, like prevent them from becoming flexible eaters. So still trying to give options, trying to change up how you serve things. It's not always wagon wheel pasta or, you know, this particular waffle cook this particular way, but really trying to like, up oh, today it's cut in half and now we've got ZD, um, you know, and you can just wipe the sauce off. Um, you know, it's just got a little speck of like it's just got some olive oil on it. So trying to change things up as much as we can, and you can still acknowledge their feelings. On the other hand, still try to model and give them a variety of options. And so are you putting a
0: little bit of the option you know that they're comfortable with and then other options on the plate? Or are you just not offering anything but the option that's on the plate and finding you know, some compassion for how hard it is for them, but pushing through it.
1: Yeah. So my kind of general rule is that there should always be something on the table that your child eats, reliably eats. So, you know, 75% of the time or over half the time your child will eat it. Um, so of course we're going to have those nights where your child is suddenly like, but I hate chicken nuggets. And you're like, Oh my yeah. God, you love chicken nuggets. <laughs> um, And that's like, just, just let it go. They're having a hard time, but I I don't think it's nice or fair to really set your child up to a meal that they can't eat. They're hungry. Like the expectation is that they're coming to the table, you know, to eat. So we should give them something that we know that they feel comfortable with, but we don't only want to give them like their favorite, favorite, favorite foods. You know, we don't only want to give them like chicken nuggets and French fries and not you know, the roasted chicken that the rest of the family is eating. So I would like to see, you know, something comfortable, um, maybe something that pushes the boundary a little bit and potentially something less comfortable or new, ok. So kids with food allergies where they
0: mm-hmm. are I was just thinking about, like, everybody else is having the roast chicken, and there's the chicken nuggets, just reminded me, I guess there are two questions. One is kids with food allergies, sort of some households choose to have everybody just eliminate the food that the one child is allergic to. Other households will provide sort of a second option. But either way, a kid who has exposure, you know, who has food allergies is used to walking through the world with an exception in their bag.
1: Mm.
0: And so for kids who have food allergies, is there a way to help them I'm basically like throwing all those challenging (laughs) eating situations at you, but people can also find you and I'll put in the show notes how they can reach you and learn more about solutions for picky eating. But is there anything that we should know about kids who have, for example, food allergies where there's a little bit of picky eating that has to go on, but teaching them to not have fear that turns into, you know, anxiety, picky eating, I guess is how I'm really clumsily saying it.
1: Yeah. It's a challenge. Like I, I'm working with the family now and their child, um, has so much anxiety because he does have some of those like, you know, severe, you know, like not allergies and and shellfish and had some bad experiences in the past. So it's definitely one of those risk factors kind of like from the trauma that it can cause. So I think one of the, the best things that we can do is really try to empower our kids with information, you know, our food allergy kids and, you know, all kids. Um, but in particular, these kids, so that they can go through the world, not with like fear or anxiety, but with that empowerment, and they can ask the right questions or kind of know, like this is typically something that would have nuts or dairy or I need to ask about this. And, you know, often these, these kids are a little bit pickier. It's for you know, a good reason, but helping to still within their, you know, acceptable foods within the foods that are safe for them, that we can still try to give variety. And, um, you know, I think really I was going to avoid trying to like pick a side here or comment on this, but I do think that being inclusive, you know, with the meal time, um, as much as possible, is helpful to kind of instill that comfort and keep them included, um, and give them that opportunity to enjoy food along with everybody else. I think, you know, for me, really, that's kind of where this all stems from or my interest is that like food is something that we can connect over. And so, you know, helping, you know, trying to facilitate that in any way as possible is really nice. So the
0: overall message, because even in that case, it's so true. If we're bonding over something that's delicious, but one of the kids is having the gluten-free version, that just doesn't feel as good as a yeah. communal experience. But I do appreciate that you said you were going to try not to take size. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, I do that all the time because it is important also to recognize that families are going to make different choices, but if somebody forced you to have a choice there, it's like, no matter what's happening for the family, making mealtime a community event and a joyful experience trumps the content of the food.
1: It does. And that, you know, of course comes with asterisks, but yes, I think that will get everybody in the long run, kind of the best Outcome. If that's really what we try to focus on, um, that will help with the picky eating, that will help with kind of rebellion, um, that will help with the battles, if that's really where our focus is. And of course, we're putting effort into the nutrition, but when that's not the focus or the ask, then like in our expectation, then we feel better about it. Then our kids are more likely to kind of make those decisions on their own and come to their own conclusions. And yeah, that will, I think, make everybody feel good in the long run. It's hard to do in the moment.